This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Larry Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we're going to welcome William McKinley, biologist and white-tailed deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. The chronic wasting disease is still plaguing our white-tailed deer population, but there are ways hunters and outdoor enthusiasts can help. Also, Dr. Major's here ready for your pet questions. We'll talk a little bit about the stress you could be passing to your pet as we move through the coronavirus pandemic. You can join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or you can email animals at mpbonline.org. Reminder that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. Also, observing social distancing and the uh, stay-at-home order about to be in place for all of the state of Mississippi. Uh, I'm the only one in the studio. We're hooking up uh, via Skype, I think, with both uh, Libby and Dr. Major. So we're trying to model uh, the correct behavior that all Mississippians should be following uh, during the coronavirus pandemic. So just Libby right now. All right, Libby, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing good. Are you adjusting to this kind of new normal wall going through? Yes, I miss friends and family, but um, I'm enjoying my place. I'm lucky enough to have a few acres around me here and lots of birds to watch and lots of chores. And um, Paul's planting a big garden, so we're making the best of it. And uh, I think that you pointed out something I've heard uh, in uh, the national media as well, and that is, or or at least in Mississippi, we're fortunate that we are a somewhat rural state, even our urban areas, and so we're able to have space where we can get out and enjoy the outdoors and still, you know, respect that six uh, feet distance from other people. Whereas, you know, my brother lives in New York City, and in that doing it in, in that was is quite a bit more, more difficult. That's for sure. Yeah, that's it's it's hard to get outside when you know there're going to be too many people out there, I guess, but anything you can do to enjoy a little piece of woods or just your own backyard, I would say it's a great time to do it. You know, um hummingbirds are all over the state now, so if you've got hummingbird feeders in your house or are able to get a, a hold of any, that would be great to put out some sugar water and um, attract hummingbirds to your house. And of course, regular bird feeding activities. Um, gosh, we've got, uh, we can talk, I guess, a little bit later. I don't know if you want me to right now about the kind of birds that we're seeing coming into the state and some passing through for migration and some coming home to nest. Uh, yeah, and I would just uh, want to throw out there that I, I heard the press conference uh, with uh, Governor Reeves yesterday, and I believe I'm correct in saying that uh, outdoor activity with singly, not in groups, uh, but they're not saying you cannot go outside. They're just saying when you go outside, do not congregate in large groups. So f- for bird watching, uh, for walks, nature walks, that sort of thing, uh, it's actually encouraged because I think that'll help us reduce some of the stress that we're all feeling as we go through this. So, uh, Libby, if folks are out in their backyards and, and getting some uh, outdoor activities in, what kind of birds are they seeing this time of year? Well, all right, the, what we call year-round residents should be there. Most of them are, are or a lot of them are, are birds that will come to your bird feeder to eat um, black wall sunflower seeds or mixed seeds. Uh, cardinals, I've got a yard full of cardinals right now. 
and chickadees, tufted tip mice, house finches. I've got red-winged blackbirds hanging around the yard, too. I've got a pair of, of cowbirds that I'm trying to feel better about. You know, they have a mixed reputation because they're parasitic on other birds. But all of those things are coming to the feeders. And um, they're also, just like the, the ones that are migrating back to make nests, these birds are going into breeding behavior and building nests. And, oh, our bluebirds are back. They should already be in nesting boxes. I've got a couple of boxes of bluebirds. Uh, then we've also got things that have migrated up from south of here that have been gone for the winter. And uh, for me, that's prothonotary warblers in Peru warblers, the hooded warblers, and summer tanagers. Those are the ones that I always count on, and they're here now. Uh, no Oreos yet. I think that's it's a little early for them. They should come through in the next few weeks. And uh, you might want to watch. Um, I, there's, a, there's a group with a listserv where we all post birds that we see called Miss Bird. You could look into that. Our listeners could if they're interested in finding out more about what's happening in the um in the uh the birds world around mississippi right now or uh bird notes that uh we subscribe to here at mpb has a um a daily message that they'll send you about birds and that's free so you might uh you could just um google bird notes or search it in some way and uh see if you want to start learning every day will tell you a little new bird fact and give you a, a recording where uh, so you'll get to hear the bird song which is always important to me that's I'm more about hearing the birds lately than I am about seeing them we've got uh, different kinds of vireos here um, white uh, uh, we've got yellow-throated vireos singing now and I very seldom ever get a look at them but I hear them often so it was fun to hear the first ones last week so um that's another thing that you could start working on is learning your bird songs. And uh, again, we've talked about this on there, but remind people if if folks are new and are out in the yard sort of maybe discovering things that they have not before, uh, online there are a couple of references uh, that they could go to uh, to uh, identify birds. And I, I think Cornell University is the one I'm thinking of. But if someone's trying to learn more about birds and help identify what they might be seeing, what's a good online reference? Yeah, Cornell is great. They, they've got all kinds of services for all levels of bird watching and ways that you can report what you're seeing when you get to a, a, when you're comfortable enough with knowing what you're actually seeing in your yard and want to report that and um, be kind of a citizen scientist, then you can do that with Cornell. But they have all kinds of things to help you learn how to bird and how to identify birds. Uh, the Sibley Bird Guide, I have that downloaded on my phone and on my iPad. And right now I'm holding National Geographic Field Guide to the Birds of North America. When I'm at home, a lot of times I do like to have a, the book just sitting out on the table on the screen porch so that I can look things up that I want to real quick. And then I also um, have a couple of different ways that I can listen to the birds' songs pretty quick on my phone. Uh, I find that I'll use an app a lot more often if it's one that I can quickly access the sounds or the pictures or, you know, whatever the essence that I'm 
trying to seek in that book. So you might play around with a couple of them before you, because most of those you do have to buy. They're not real expensive, but most of those are purchased apps, just like you would purchase the book. Right. So yeah, uh, so you might, but they'll let you try it out a little bit first. Find out which one uh, works best for, with you. So, uh, Doctor yes. Major has joined us on the line. Good morning, Doctor Major. Hope things are going well for you. Good morning. Uh, well, we're trying to do our very best at uh, social distancing and uh, wearing protective gear when we need to, and uh, you know, gloves and mask are I think probably more important than we realized uh, early on with this. So, anyway, uh, we're doing good. You can hear some dogs barking in the background, <laughs> and uh, they they they're excited. They don't have to worry about the COVID nineteen. Uh, now, do you know uh, during the shelter in place uh, is a veterinarian considered an essential business? And can folks, if they have an, uh, something come up with their pet, feel safe uh, going to you? I think we talked about uh, curbside service. Right. Is that continuing? And then, do you know where your right. status is in terms of the stay-at-home order? Right, we're we're considered essential, uh, and uh, we uh, still are enforcing the curbside uh, uh, service, if you will. Uh, when people come to the clinic, they they call and uh, or call ahead of time, and uh, we uh, find out what they need, uh, and a tech or uh, someone will go get the uh, dog or cat or rabbit, whatever case it may be, and uh, we'll then examine the animal, uh, do whatever is necessary, communicate with the owner, uh, and. Uh, then after that's all done, medication, if you will, and the pet uh, are returned to the owner. So trying to maintain the distance, it's, it's, I know it's difficult, but uh, it does add a, you know, add a degree of difficulty to everything. But uh, that's good to know then that, that, you know, during this time that if our pets are ill, I mean, we, we can still care for them and, and, and make sure that they're uh, healthy with as we try to stay healthy as well. Uh, our, our producer Java found a quote from uh, someone from the Norwell Veterinary Hospital in Massachusetts saying that getting into things they shouldn't is a top phone call we've been discussing from pet owners, surfing counters, getting into trash, destructive behavior, pent up energy and not being able to settle down are all signs that they may be stressed. So, Dr. Major, do you have any tips for pet owners if they see their their pets being a little bit stressed out? You know, that's a good question. And, and I really believe that uh, our pets do uh, pick up our stress. And uh, it is one of those things that uh, is uh, universal. Now, a question you have, you know, was the pet stressing before this all happened? I think a lot of I saw a uh, YouTube or something video where the the cat was really upset because the the people were at home all the time. The cat had the house to himself all day long, and now these people were there, and it was just messing up his routine. But we are seeing a lot of uh, stress diarrhea in dogs, especially. Uh, that's been the keynote of the week. Seems like is diarrhea in dogs. And does that mean that uh, they're stressed or are people feeding them uh, different things since they're at home than what they normally get? So you have to kind of judge. And as you said, uh, uh, counter-surfing or whatever they can pick up, a lot of times that does lead to 
some serious things sometimes, such as hemorrhagic gastroenteritis, which uh, is not a good thing. And uh, dogs, some dogs are prone to pancreatitis. So if they uh, get a fatty meal or something that uh, is not in their normal diet, uh, they may uh, develop symptoms of diarrhea and vomiting. All right. Uh, let's go ahead. It's time for our first break of the hour. and we'll return, we'll bring into the conversation our guest, William McKinley, from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We're going to talk white-tailed deer, keeping them out of the garden, what they're up to this time of year, and how chronic wasting disease is affecting the population. So stay tuned. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest for the hour is William McKinley, Deer Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. If you want to join the conversation with your question or comment, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or you can email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So joining us from the comfort of his home is William McKinley. Uh, William, thanks for joining us this morning. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what the White-Tailed Deer Program is and your role in it. Well, I'm the White-Tailed Deer Coordinator for Mississippi Department of Wildlife. Uh, I've been with the department for 19 years and been specifically in a deer-related role since for 17 of those years, I guess. Uh, that's a long time now to say it out, say it out loud. <laughs> uh, but the White-Tailed Deer Program, i uh, you know, there's a long, rich history of white-tailed deer management in our state going back to uh, something called Deer Management Assistance Program, or DMAP, which actually began in Mississippi around Kemper and Knoxville counties. Uh, a partnership with a state game agency and landowners or deer hunters, deer managers, where they provide data to the state and the state provides recommendations back the site-specific recommendations on how to manage their deer herd. And uh, that program has been copied in practically every state that has white-tailed deer, began right here. Uh, so, uh, like I said, a long, rich history there. Uh, our deer were practically exterminated from our state uh, around the turn of the, of the 20th century there in early 1900s. It was estimated we had less, only around 1,200 deer left in the entire state. And that's what our agency was formed in around 1930. And refuges were established and deer were uh, set and put in those refuges from the, mainly from the existing populations we had. And our agency began restocking. It's kind of hard to believe when you ride down the highway and see the number of deer and that are in counties now that most counties started with as few as 15 or 20 deer being released in the 1950s and 60s. So, uh, long history with this. 
All right, we're having a little bit of issue with the phone. We're going to try to fix that up. Uh, William McKinley, do your program coordinator for the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, is our guest. In the meantime, though, we have another caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Mary, who's called in from Coldwater today. Good morning, Mary. What do you have for us? Hi, Mary. Um, I'm so glad to ask about this because it's something that I've really been worrying about. It's so sad. Um, I've lived in Coldwater or Hernando for the past 35 years. And up until about four or five years ago, the springs were just delightful with the bird songs. They they reminded me of the Bible verse, the heavens declare the glory of God. And and they were all so happy, you know, and seeking a mate in the spring. And it started right after uh, Christmas and went on for, for months. Now, the, uh, for the past four, three or four or five years, the woods are silent in the springtime. You can hear maybe one or two birds, but hardly ever do you hear two, you know, communicating. And uh, it's just, I don't understand if it is this local or, or has anybody else noticed this? Libby, okay. go ahead. Mary, you live in the part of the state where... Um, the population has grown fast, and there's been a lot of building going on. I'm not sure how many years. I don't remember how many years you said you'd been there, but um, if you're still on the line, have you noticed a decrease in the habitat for these birds? Well, I'm imagining well, yeah, that you've got a, a whole lot more people in the area, and you may have had more houses built, more businesses. Well, uh, of course, South Haven is booming, and and I, I mean, yeah. literally, um, last year there was a photograph in a in a subdivision, and a lion was walking down the street, a, a mountain lion, and uh, so um, they said, "Oh, look at the bobcat!" No, that's not a bobcat. <laughs> he doesn't have a short tail. But so, but as far as the birds go, well, yes, it's certainly bad in in uh, South Haven, but I just moved down to um, to Mississippi, I mean to Coldwater, where there's not very much construction going on at all. And in my woods, I have um, 14 acres, there was one bird trying to find a mate, and it's the saddest thing. Oh, goodness. All right, what kind of woods are they? Are they pine kind of or are they um, there's a lot, mixed hardwoods? And um, and there's a lot of, uh, not too far from here, like a couple of miles from here, there's a lot of uh, cotton fields and there's a lot of spraying. Yeah, that's a problem. That's certainly a problem. In pine woods, stands of predominantly pine are usually not as rich in bird life as a mixed forest would be. You know, if you've got oaks and uh, maples and uh, other trees that, um, have have more food and maybe attract more insects for the insect-eating birds. So a good variety of trees is important. If you have predominantly pine, you tend not to have as many birds. But as far as a change, if the, if you you know if the birds were there now they're not. That's either that's a change in the way people are managing land, whether it's that uh, trees have been cut and things have been built there or um, some kind of a chemical use, I guess, is possible. And uh, it might be that you can investigate a little and find what's changed and be able to make a difference. And it may just be sign of the times, Mary. You know how that is. 
We know that worldwide and nationwide populations of birds are tending to decrease, as are a lot of wild animals. Animals that are easily adapted to living close to people are the ones that are um, increasing in numbers, and those that like their solitude away from us are no surprise are the ones that are decreasing. The things that we can do to help provide habitat for those animals, of course, would be to um, plant the kind of plants they like. You can do a little quick reading online and figure out what kind of things to plant around your yard. Providing water features is real important. Some birds like a closed canopy and kind of a tight woods, and then some will want the edge of a field. So uh, if they're not spraying too much poison on those fields, uh, right along the sides of the times are very good places for birds. Did that help at all? Somebody else had reported this, or if I'm, if I'm, it's something that I'm obsessed about or what. Um, it's just so, but you know what, what you say about pine, pine, um, pine trees not being good for birds. Uh, the, my neighbor whose, whose land encircles my property has put in a, a tree farm with nothing but pine pine woods there so that might have something yeah. to do mm -hmm. that's that's hard for a lot of birds especially if if was it was it a open pasture or um kind of unused fields with, before with trees you know with trees along the fence lines and and stands of trees inside and it was a good habitat but now it's yeah that pine trees that makes a very big difference. And when you think about birds that are migrating through and they're flying over that and they look down, if the terrain has changed a lot, they um, may just keep going. So they don't find your little patch of woods if uh, you're in the midst of a, a big area that's uh, been in transition. All right, Mary, we appreciate your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join our conversation today, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Today we're visiting with William McKinley, Deer Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So, uh, William, what are deer up to this time of year? What is their activity level? Well, their activity level is actually quite reduced during spring greenup. By the way, is the phone any better? Am I being heard better? Yeah, we're, we've got you better. So go ahead. So it, uh, reduce this time of year, huh? That's correct, because uh, it's an all-you-can-eat buffet out there, of, <laughs> and vegetation is at its most nutritious time as these buds are opening and new leaves are coming out. So spring green up is a wonderful time of year for deer. So where they may have had to go a mile in their daily travels to get their uh, five to ten pounds of vegetation they need, depending on if they're a buck or a doe. Uh, they now may only have to go a couple of hundred yards, and so their movement is reduced. Bucks have recently lost their antlers over most of the state. They're just starting to regrow their antlers now. They're grouped up. Bucks like to run through the summer through the antler growth period, and they get together and run around in bachelor groups. Uh, the does are carrying thorns currently. They'll be giving birth uh, most 
fawns in Mississippi are born in July, some as early as June, early June, and some as late as August, but, um, and a few anomalies to that, but overall, right now is a wonderful time of year for deer. Uh, one thing we'll encourage people with, uh, since folks may have a little more time on their hands around their place, if they have property they can access nearby, it's a great time of year to shed hunt, look for shed antlers. And um, it's a lot of people out there doing that this this time of year. Uh, our previous caller was talking about birds, and, and Libby mentioned sort of uh, loss of habitat. Uh, as as the human population begins to expand and build new subdivisions and that sort of thing, are encounters with uh, feet, people seeing deer in their yard uh, increasing? They certainly are. And I once saw a presentation where they took an area of fairly uniform habitat and they said this is good habitat and then they changed it to a subdivision of five to ten acre lots and they said this is great deer habitat because people are planting and deer come in they eat that vegetation that people put in and uh they can they can make a bit of a pest of themselves in those areas so we do get those calls quite frequently of how do i control deer Uh, now i want to point out that deer are not classed as a nuisance species. We have nuisance animals in Mississippi, non-game animals in Mississippi, and game animals. So a nuisance animal uh, has a designated class. It would be wild pigs, for instance, and we allow them to be taken uh, as they're causing damage at any time. Uh, However, White-tailed deer have specific seasons, so even if a deer is doing damage, you have to go through the agency, and we will, in some cases, issue permits to remove deer, but not in all cases um, outside of the normal hunting season. All right. Uh, we need to take another break. By the way, antler hunting, that sounds like a fun thing that uh, folks could do uh, to spend some time outside uh, this time of year. Uh, we're visiting with William McKinley. He's the deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. After the break, we're going to co- talk about chronic wasting disease and the health of the deer population, but also have some tips on how you might keep deer out of your home garden. Don't hesitate to join our conversation. You can call in with your questions and comments. The number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's 1-877-672-7464 or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Kevin Farrell, and this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm joined by Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. 
Our guest for this hour is biologist William McKinley. He's the Deer Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. You can join our conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. If you have a question for Dr. Major, a question about deer for our guest, William McKinley, or if you want to talk about what you've been seeing uh, in your area, your brushes with wildlife or your encounters with nature, you can give us a call as well. So, William, we do want to talk about the chronic wasting disease, but before we get to that, you talked about how uh, with uh, humans kind of expanding their footprint in uh, in nature, uh, there are these encounters with deers, and you said that, uh, you know, if you're growing a garden, it's like a, a buffet at a restaurant, I guess, for some of these deer. So do you have some tips on how to maybe keep deer uh, out of out of your garden? Well, I do. I'll first say that deer, you know, kind of unlike us, unlike many of us, maybe I speak more for myself, they (laughs) tend to choose the most nutritious food available (laughs) and focus on it. Uh, So fertilizer makes things more nutritious. So deer, once they find that garden or that shrub in your yard, and, and fertilizer can even make a plant that is normally not very desirable to deer, after one bite, they realize that it has been fertilized and has a higher nutrient uh, component. They'll actually focus more on it and keep eating it. So gardens definitely fall into that mix. And I'm a gardener. Uh, that's something that I've grown up doing since I was old enough to remember. Uh, my family's had very large gardens, and we had fought deer for those years from all the way through. I still do. And I have run across a few tips. There's a lot of things out there that work for short durations. I'm going to tell you a couple of the tips that are more long-term of uh, some, one may be more practical than other, depending on your situation. Uh, I use an electric fence around my garden, and it's, it's a little solar pet system. Uh, I keep it installed around the garden, and not just one fence, but actually two fences about three to four feet apart. So not necessarily, I'm, I'm using two different posts at each location about four feet apart. So if people can envision this, you would put, imagine a square garden, a fence around the garden, and then another fence around that fence, roughly four feet away. And that system has proven very, very effective at keeping deer out. Uh, Theory is that they are, because they're far-sighted, they actually lose sight of the first fence. I don't know exactly why it works. I just know that it does, and it's quite effective. Now, that's not practical in a lot of situations around shrubbery around the house or small little garden spots that may be unsightly or just just not practical. What I've also had a lot of success with is buying the cheapest ground cayenne pepper I can find usually around a a dollar or a little over a dollar for a bottle of it, and I soak it in one gallon of water overnight. I strain it. That's important because it'll block up a a sprayer if you don't. Then that one gallon can be applied to the plants that the deer are eating. Now, the problem is 
dew is going to wash it off after three or four days, or if you're on a rain pattern like what we've seen for a year and a half in Mississippi <laughs> now, uh, you have to reapply after every rain. But it's a fairly cheap reapplication because depending if you're just dealing with a small number of plants, that one gallon may last you several sprayings. But deer will take a bite. It burns their mouth just like it burns ours. They'll move over, take another bite. They will learn to leave that plant alone. Uh, you just have to watch and make sure they don't just shift to another plant. So it's good to spray the plants around that one as well. I've done that with vegetables uh, quite often and been able to quite effectively keep them, deter them away from the garden that way. But the fence is a much more productive long-term solution. That, that sounds like a great idea, although uh, knowing my luck, I would get the one deer out there that likes spicy food. So, <laughs> But that does, like you say, you know, inexpensive and then make that solution, apply it every couple of days, and, and that would uh, just deter them for sure from uh, trying to, uh, to get to your plants. We're going to talk about chronic wasting disease. It's important, but we do have a caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Sue, uh, who's called in from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us. I'd like to ask a bird question. That's not a bird show. But I just I just like to ask why I used to hear lots of hawks and lots of crows, if nothing else. But I haven't heard any of them yet. What, what do you think is going on with the hawks and the crows? Oh goodness, I don't know. I'm seeing a lot of crows, Sue, because I, in fact, I had one that swooped down. You know, sometimes they will raid nests, and I wondered what he might be doing because he. He came down in the midst of all my little tufted titmice and chickadees this morning. But um, I don't know. We have to go through some kind of analysis of your site, maybe to see what's going on different. Or is it just that you need to wait a little while for what you're expecting? Uh, you know, during spring, just like William was just saying about the deer, Animals have a lot of choices of food, and they may leave your your immediate area and go somewhere else to eat, eat for a while. So that some of what's happening, but I don't know. I'm thinking more with, with hawks. It's about having rodents and things for them to eat. Has anything like that may have maybe changed in your area? No, I, I'm, I was really surprised. You know, when I go outside, I... Don't hear any birds, very many birds, but I have, the hawks and crows were always there, you know, lots of them, and I haven't heard any this, not so far this year, so I was just wondering what happened, you know. Yeah, we've been seeing flocks of crows coming through, so I was, you know, I would think that you might see the same if you're used to seeing the same. They don't migrate or something, yeah, and you might send me an email, and we could discuss this a little bit more by email if you want to you leave your address if you've got that. Okay, thank you. But, um, yeah, sometimes it's complicated to figure out what has changed in your habitat. All right, Sue, thanks for the phone call. But also, I hear Libby, what I'm hearing you say is maybe uh, keep a watch and that eventually that she'll see uh, some of those birds that she's used to seeing in her area maybe later in the year. Yes, yes. Sometimes it, it will be a function of they're all somewhere else right now because some source of food has become available and they may come back to her area in the next few weeks. 
Uh, we're visiting this hour with biologist William McKinley, who's the Deer Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back, we will jump in and talk about chronic wasting disease. Also, Dr. Major is here ready to take some pet questions, so you can give us a phone call if you have a question or a comment this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more, so stay tuned. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest for the hour is biologist William McKinley, deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So, William, uh, I I would imagine that, uh, like most essential businesses, uh, MDWFP has uh, maybe running a skeleton staff and allowing some folks to work from home during uh, the the coronavirus pandemic? You are correct. Uh, Our offices are closed. We have just a a few staff at those taking care of essential operations. Uh, But there's still hunting and fishing to be had and outdoor recreation to be had. Exactly how the shelter-in-place order affects uh, a lot of our areas, a lot of our public areas, both fishing and hunting. Uh, it's, it's being discussed today, and we hope to have a press release out soon uh, of how that directly impacts. But uh, if a lot of people are asking those questions to, regarding this particular area or that particular area, and uh, those answers should be out hopefully later today, if not today, by tomorrow. All right. Yeah, this is all new to us, so it uh, takes a little while to, you know, come up with a common sense uh, plan. And so we'll we'll look forward to hearing that in either today or tomorrow. Let's talk about chronic wasting disease. How does it affect the deer population here in Mississippi? Oh, I believe that chronic wasting disease is the biggest threat affecting whitetail deer and wildlife management in general to our state uh, that we may have just about ever seen, especially as the current threat. So chronic wasting disease has been found in 26 states and likely exists in others. Uh, We have found it in Mississippi in six counties thus far, with that being Marshall and Benton, Tallahatchie, Pontotoc, Panola, and Issaquina. Um, Shortly after we detected CWD, Tennessee found CWD. Soon after we found it in Marshall County, uh, they found it in Fayette and Hardeman counties, which are border counties to Mississippi. And uh, that was in December of 2018, so just a year and a half ago. And they have, we found 54 positives. They found 677. So with most of their positives, the vast majority being in counties that border Mississippi, state-line counties. So it is a very large threat there, and it has spilled over into Mississippi, and uh, we're going to continue to deal with it. 
Uh, how is D- MDWFP uh, trying to combat the disease? First off, our goal is to find the disease in all the locations. So this disease, it's kind of it moves out. You'll have a center or what's known as a cluster where the disease started. And as it begins to infect more animals, and how it started, we don't know. It appears to be clustered uh, about 10 miles above the Mississippi state line in Tennessee. That looks like the highest prevalence area. Uh, And as it moves out, you have the natural behavior of deer. They spread it through licking behavior. is primarily believed to be spread through uh, mucosal and saliva. So either eating directly after one another, such as at a feed source, or licking one another um, and bringing deer together in unnatural concentrations. So the social distancing we're talking about with the coronavirus, with humans now, it kind of applies directly there, too. Now, we, we can't keep them apart, but we can stop unnaturally congregating them, too, and that has shown some some help so we've got to find the disease in all its locations and then we're working with landowners in those areas encouraging uh, more deer harvest right around where those positives are coming from and uh, working on a lot more uh, strategies that may be in place for next deer season that I won't I won't mention now as none of it is approved yet Uh, but we're looking at a lot of different ways to try to combat it taking following what other steps are do other states are doing in trying to manage this disease. So uh, can chronic wasting disease affect humans? There's been no confirmed cases of chronic wasting disease in humans uh, in anywhere that chronic wasting disease is found. However, the Center for Disease Control, CDC, we've heard a lot you know from them recently. A lot of people learned about them through the coronavirus, uh, but um they recommend issued a statement that if you hunt in an area that has CWD, that you get your animal tested before you eat it and you not eat a positive animal. So that's the recommendations out there. The trying to minimize the, the prevalence of this disease in the food chain. Uh, where would a hunter go to get their deer tested? So, Our agency, Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, has numerous drop-off locations across the state, uh, but you have to submit the head of the deer, or you can submit the sample itself, which are the retropharyngeal lymph nodes. That's what we test. We test them at the MSU Veterinary Diagnostic Lab in Pearl. Uh, We send all of our samples there for testing. But during season, a hunter would harvest a deer, they can then remove the head of that deer, and at their at their leisure, I would say, their convenience, they stop at one of these drop-off freezers. We provide biological sample cards. They fill out garbage bags. They drop the head of that animal. The card has a receipt, and they can check their results online. Uh, they would not learn they were positive that way, only that it had been tested and was not detected. Uh, we personally call all the positives out there to discuss and, get, and ask a few questions. 
All right. Uh, and again, uh, so hunting season uh, for white-tailed deer, again, that might be adjusted this year doing to the stay in uh, place, uh, the shelter in place um, order. So are we are we waiting to see an official word on that? And you say it might come in the next couple of days? Well, I don't. I wouldn't anticipate any change in deer season if that doesn't begin until October 1. Okay. Uh, so, but as far as turkey season is open right now and fishing is wide open always, so how that impacts some public areas, I cannot say at this point. Uh, but I know some areas are being closed, such as some some specific areas on some state parks, but I'm not going to try to go over a list that, uh, I don't have complete in front of me. I will guide people to look for a press release from our department there uh, soon. Right. As you were saying, that that needs to be figured out and, and the best uh, solution come up with. And so, again, we will look uh, as we uh, will be giving out information on MPB Think Radio about the shelter and home uh, uh, order issued by Governor uh, Reeves yesterday. And so, as you say, there will be much more information, I think, about that in the coming days. And so we'll certainly be up on that uh, and be able to uh, to help folks understand uh, this, this new normal that we're going through as we deal with uh, the coronavirus. We've got a caller on the line. So why don't we say good morning to Mike, who's called in from Corinth. Mike, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, I was just wondering if you could identify a new, uh, I guess it's a migratory songbird we noticed on our feeders in the last three weeks. Uh, It's slightly larger than a bluebird, but it's mostly black with a little bit of uh, brown on the head and neck area. Uh, And I was just wondering if y'all would know what type of uh, bird this is okay this is i'm having like a little a trouble hearing you you said it was mostly black with a little brown on the head is that right yes uh sort of a reddish brown on the uh head and neck mostly brown william you and, said you had a guess the overall appearance of very dark right yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. look at a, a brown-headed cowbird yeah brown look that up in your cowbird. book Brown-headed cowbird. I think, William, that was your guess, too, wasn't it? It was. All right. All right, so you got two experts there, so we're, we're pretty sure, Mike, that that, uh, that might be what it is. So the brown-headed cowbird. Uh, so thanks, Mike, uh, for your call. Um, so, uh, William. Slightly larger than a bluebird. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah that's, that's probably what it is. All right, uh, so William, I, I'm not a deer hunter, as you could probably guess when I didn't have any idea of when white-tailed deer season is. So you said it starts in October, is that correct? That's correct. And uh, uh, It starts in October and ends in the end of January in most of the state and extends to February 15th in the southeastern portion of the state. All right. Uh, what about the white-tailed deer population? Is it robust in all parts of the state, or are there parts of Mississippi where you'll see more deer than other parts? Certainly, they are more abundant in certain parts of the state than others. Our last population estimate, uh, we we use a technique called a population reconstruction, which actually tells us how many deer there were a few years ago. It's the best best way. They don't tend to line up and be counted or complete a <laughs> census. So, uh, but about 1.475 million was the latest estimate, and so a very healthy overall deer herd across the state um we do have a few disease issues as i mentioned with chronic wasting disease in some areas 
and deer battled to other diseases, but overall, deer are quite healthy and getting healthier with spring green up, but we will see higher populations in some areas. We, we've seen some negative impacts on the deer herd along the South Delta region due to flooding uh, over the past couple of years. So uh, certainly it varies across the state. All right, and we got about a half a minute left. If people wanted to find out more information about chronic wasting disease, could they go to the MDWFP uh, website? Absolutely. We have a whole uh, segment of our website set up for chronic wasting disease, or commonly called CWD. All right. William, thank you so much for taking some time out this morning and helping us uh, understand more about this and uh, reminding us about uh, the deer in our state. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by listeners just like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest William McKinley, I'm Kevin Farrell. Tune in next Thursday at 9 for more Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.